reading from Exodus 4, 1 to 17. And you can find it on page 60 of the Church Bibles. So starting to read from verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back to a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is that, that so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now, put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, If they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, Take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river would become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send somebody else. <coughs> then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you and it would be as if, it, if it were, he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so that you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian, very much for reading. Do keep that passage open. Uh, we're back uh, this evening and we're breaking really into a conversation that you looked at or started to look at last week uh, between Moses and God uh, before a bush that is burning but is not uh, consumed. Pretty weird, you might think. Um, but I think the amazing thing about chapter 3 is not that this bush was burning but actually that Moses was not. As we see uh, Moses encountering this holy God and being incredibly resistant, really, to God's purposes and plans uh, for him. Uh, we've already seen, haven't we, that Moses is a deeply flawed man. Um, he's a murderer on the run. Um, he's even a failed saviour. 
uh, whose bad choices have left him uh, wandering in a desert for 40 years uh, herding sheep. And yet, as God reveals himself uh, to Moses here at the bush, uh, remarkably, it's not in judgment, but in grace. Uh, And rather than consuming uh, Moses, he is commissioning him and involving him in his wonderful plans and purposes. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? You think about it. Pretty incredible. Uh, So no wonder uh, Moses, back in chapter 3, verse 5, says, Me? Who, me? Uh, God uh, reveals he's going ins- to uh, rescue his enslaved people from the, the greatest superpower, Pharaoh, um, and use Moses as his servant. And Moses goes, really? But we saw, didn't we, I think last time, that God is not sending Moses on some fool's errand. No, God is the one who is, I am, uh, who never changes, who is without limit when it comes to power and ability. And he promises, isn't it, to go with Moses uh, and use uh, this weak and sinful man. How amazing. <laughs> How encouraging. Uh, when we discover that God is still in the business of using very weak people, uh, flawed people, sinful people, to fulfill his purposes. And uh, he does that, doesn't he, even uh, with us, as he equips us to serve uh, his great kingdom purposes. Well, as we come to this next bit of the story, let's pray again that God would open our minds and our hearts uh, to his truth. Father, we come this evening to meet you in your word. Please uh, be gracious to us as you call us. We are weak, we are flawed, we're often unbelieving, uh, frequently uh, fearful and disobedient. But please meet us again in grace and power uh, to to change us and commission us uh, afresh for your great kingdom purposes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder how you would uh, have described Moses' response to God as we saw it last week. Um, I guess shock does describe that initial response, as I mentioned. But as, as that shock sort of, sort of dissipates, um, doubts kind of come in, don't they? And last week we saw Moses very anxious about a number of different things. Uh, at the beginning, uh, how would he answer people's questions? What if they want specifics about the one who's uh, sent me? What am I to say? Uh, worries Moses. Remember how God responds. He says to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And in that answer, I think God not only addresses the the who uh, question, but also the how question, doesn't he? He says, God makes crystal clear right from the off what is about to happen. It is not primarily dependent on Moses and his prowess or his abilities, but totally on the God whose power is limitless, as is his existence. And so as God promises uh, to be with Moses and to provide for him, even down to the words he's going to say, actually, that should have been sufficient, shouldn't it, for, for Moses? But now at the start of chapter 4, we find Moses still anxious, still looking for reassurance. And that anxiety and doubt is expressed in a second question to God there in verse 1. What if they do not believe me or or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Kind of fair point, isn't it, at one level. Uh, Suppose Moses does turn up, uh, yes, with words from God, and either they they don't listen to the message, or maybe worse still, they have no confidence in the messenger. Uh, Maybe kind of Moses starts to look forwards as he sort of kind of turns up out of the desert, 
uh, an 80-year-old claiming uh, to know God's plans and purposes. Perhaps he's already starting to imagine the, the disbelief uh, as he tells them how he's about to march into the, the throne room of the most powerful person on the planet and tell them to open the gate and let, his people, let the people go, just like that. Or maybe Moses is thinking back to the time when uh, he, as it were, tried to be that saviour and the people said, sorry, who do you think you are? Who made you a judge or a ruler over us? Well, Moses' uh, worries would be understandable, even excusable, except, of course, that God, just moments earlier, had promised that the people would listen to Moses, even if Pharaoh at first would not. Indeed, God, I think God reveals that uh, so convinced will they be of the truth of Moses' encounter, uh, they will even speak as if they were there. There in chapter 3, verse 18. And so actually what, God, what Moses is saying in verse 1 is, Lord, what if your promises don't come true? What if your word fails? What if you're wrong about what you declare will happen? And to make matters worse, he's saying this as this bush is burning, as God is displaying his power right in front of Moses' eyes. And he's doubting God's word as God declares that he is the, the faithful promise-keeping God. Wow. Again, how, how gracious, how patient God is, slow to anger, bounding in love and faithfulness to this very faithless man. And not just to Moses, of course, but to us too. See, uh, God has given us so much more evidence, hasn't he, than he gave Moses, a proof of his faithfulness, his commitment to always keep his promises. And he's shown that love and faithfulness supremely, of course, in sending Jesus, uh, his son. But actually, even this week, I found myself in a number of situations finding it difficult to trust God. Uh, questioning perhaps specific situations have arisen where my plans haven't gone as I wanted. I'm wondering what God is doing. Um, ducking opportunities to, to speak for, for Jesus. Uh, and doing so, when humanly speaking, the stakes are far less high than they were for Moses speaking before that powerful man, Pharaoh. But just notice how patient God is once more, responding to Moses' doubts uh, with further proof and reassurance. So I think God is under no illusions about who he's calling here. He remembers, doesn't he, that we are dust. Um, and so he deals with Moses in great kindness and grace. And then so from verses 2 to 9, God provides Moses with uh, miracles that will assure him and strengthen his very wobbly faith. And yes, they will even assure and convince others, but first, I think they will assure Moses uh, in the first place. And did you spot how God calls these, demonstra what God calls these demonstrations of power there, there in verse 8? He calls them, doesn't he, uh, signs. And if you've been around on Sunday morning over uh, the summer, you'll know that... Uh, uh, Jesus uh, did signs, didn't he, in John's Gospel? And we saw that signs are more than just random displays of power, uh, certainly more than magic tricks. They are there to reveal important particular things that we need to grasp and acknowledge. So I've been thinking about these three signs uh, over this week and wondering uh, what specifically God wants to reveal uh, through them, first to Moses, but also, I think, to us. I'm not sure I've worked out everything, but here's a, a starter. So God commands, doesn't he, and Moses to throw down his staff, uh, and as he does so, it turns miraculously into uh, a snake. And Moses does what I would do at that point. 
run very fast. There's something about snakes, isn't there? There's something about snakes. And then God calls Moses to pick up the snake by its tail, and immediately the snake turns back to a staff, just a piece of wood that Moses uh, can use to lean on. Let me tell you that serpents feature quite significantly in the Bible. You might have noticed that at the very start, through it, and at the end. Of course, the Bible speaks of the serpent, Satan, the devil, who stands against God's purposes right from the very beginning of Scripture. Uh, and where do we see him at work here in Exodus? Well, most clearly, I think, uh, in the evil and oppressive rule of Satan's agent, Pharaoh. Interesting that the symbol um, of, um, of Pharaoh's power was a snake, a cobra, adorning his headdress and indeed his staff, his ceremonial staff. And God is saying to Moses, do you think that Moses is powerful? A match for me and my purposes? Trust me, in my hands, as my plans unfold, I will, I will pick him up by the tail and he will become powerless. Nothing more than a tool to serve my purposes going forwards. And by the way, if you think that's impressive and glorious, just wait for the day when I will do the same for the one behind Pharaoh, the devil himself. When just as I promised, my deliverer will crush his head and defeat him once and for all. Even as my chosen one takes that venom for you and in your place and removes his power over you forever. But at the start of this week, uh, isn't that an emboldening reality, a sign to hold on to as we glimpse what God will do and has done to keep that promise in Jesus? I was particularly encouraged just this week. We were at a conference, some of us, at the beginning of the week, uh, reflecting on something of the mess of the church, um, the ways in which uh, I think Satan has, as it were, got in among us with all kinds of teaching that is not biblical, that ignores God's truth, and it's caused havoc. It spreads like poison, um, and it's powerful, it's influential in many ways. And often I think oh, God's course has seemed so weak and so so pathetic against the power of such people, such influences. But here we remind me that God is not thwarted by our enemy. God is in control. And the great deliverer has come and promised to build his church. Not even the gates of hell. The power of the serpent will stop him. Indeed, God has used him as his tool for his great saving plans. Then there's a second sign, the hand that turns leprous and then becomes clean. Uh, leprosy was a dreadfully disfiguring uh, and alienating condition. Uh, in scripture, it's frequently used to describe our uncleanness, our sinfulness, uh, that disfigures uh, God's image in us, that separates us from God and from one another. I, I've, been honest, I've, been, I've been struggling to work out what this uh, sign points to, but I was thinking it's, it's pointing uh, forward to the way in which God is going to deal with a far bigger problem, even than Pharaoh, in this book of Exodus. Not just about getting out of bondage, is it, uh, from Pharaoh, but also that freedom to draw near to God and worship him. And that can only happen, can't it, as God comes and cleanses us, as he forgives us, as he brings uh, himself near through those sacrifices in the tabernacle uh, so that uh, sin can be dealt with. But of course it foreshadows, doesn't that place uh, that will happen where Jesus comes and becomes that place of of reconciliation, of atonement, uh, where God and sinners can be reconciled. 
And then there's that third sign, uh, the water from the Nile turned to blood. This is a sign that doesn't happen in front of God's people, but it will be used against uh, Pharaoh. Um, the Nile, I guess, was a source, wasn't it, of great life for that powerful nation. And blood being poured out is a sign of death. And here I think God is, is pointing forward uh, to that, that deadly curse that Egypt is going to face as it chooses to resist God. Of course, it's not only a sign that is performed over Egypt and before Pharaoh, but it is it's one that displays, doesn't it, uh, God's power as he turns that most prosperous nation into ruin over, uh, through great judgments on their wickedness and their resistance to God's plans. Well, wonderful signs, I think, uh, convincing signs that foreshadow what God will do as he keeps his promise to uh, deliver and judge. Yes, through Moses, but ultimately through his son, Jesus. Well, certainly now you think, well, Moses is armed, he's ready, isn't he, to, to respond to God's call. But again, we find it, don't we, hesitant, coming up with an, yeah, another excuse uh, for not going to God's people and then to Pharaoh. So look down at verse 4, sorry, verse 10 of chapter 4. Moses says to the Lord, uh, pardon your servants, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servants. I'm slow of speech and tongue. Well, in verse 1, Moses is concerned that the people might not listen well. Now he expresses that anxiety that he won't speak well. Well, again, God is amazingly patient, and he addresses both again of those concerns uh, in verse 11. The Lord said uh, to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Uh, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Notice here, God speaks, doesn't he, of those who are deaf, don't listen well, uh, those who are mute, uh, who can't speak well, and then for good measure, those uh, who are blind, those who lack the ability to see God and his purposes. In other words, he addresses, doesn't he, uh, Moses' fears, uh, that the people won't listen well, that he won't speak well. And God's response is wonderfully clear. I give words, I give hearing, I give understanding and sight. Yeah, it is true, says God, that people don't listen well. True that Moses may not speak well. But it will be God who gives both words and hearing. God is the one who opens blind eyes to know him and receive his truth. One of the great excuses for avoiding God's call is our feelings of inadequacy. Um, we say, who am I to convince anyone of their need for Jesus? Uh, how can my feeble words ever bring another human being to, to faith? And God, I think, says here, true, you can't. That's not within your power or your remit. Uh, convincing and converting ultimately is my job. And yet in my wisdom and grace, I have will to send weak people who are unimpressive uh, to stubborn people and a promise to accomplish my work uh, through all three. That is why God's way is amazing, isn't it? Uh, we wonder at it. God keeps his promise, he accomplishes his great plan, and he uses very weak people to do it. Uh, at the conference I was at uh, this week, uh, we were reminded often of our weakness, uh, our sense of weakness as something that's important and used by God in his purposes and plans. And I was reading something this week that just again caught that note 
of our own weakness but God's power. Paul writes these words in, in, uh, in Corinthians. He says, I did not come uh, with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, in great fear and trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So often what we think of as a liability, actually, uh, is something that God deliberately has purposed, so that when God works powerfully by his spirit, he is the one who gets the glory and the praise. I notice you too, that in his wonderful promise, uh, God uh, makes, he says he's going to give Moses words. He said, I will help you. Go, he says, well, he says go, I will help you uh, and speak uh, through you. I will give you words to say. I, I was just thinking about this. These words are very interesting. Now go, says, says God, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. I, 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 was, I was challenged by the order of that this week. Uh, he could have said, I will teach you all you need to say and then you can go. But actually, he sends him first with this clear promise of words given when needed. And so this call of God to go is a call uh, for Moses to trust God, isn't it? You've been exercising growing faith that uh, demands that Moses relies on God's promise, not his own abilities, even to get the words out. Uh, just recently, we were thinking about uh, uh, the Great Commission. Um, this is something we were doing on Saturday morning with the guys. And this is something I was, I was very struck by. Jesus has authority. He sends his uh, disciples, he sends us, uh, to go and make disciples. And he ends by saying, and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Of course, we, we know, don't we, in, at least in our heads, that God is with us. Now, the Bible says that. But we long, we long don't we, to, to know that in our experience, uh, to behold and experience deeply that reality. And we would love it, wouldn't, it, wouldn't we, if we had... Uh, that power of, of, of a deep experience of his presence before we went. But I actually have discovered again and again, actually, that it, uh, that deep sense of being, uh, God being with me comes as I go, as I am obedient and trust in that promise. Behold, see, I am with you. So what I, what I promise as God, what I, you will fully enjoy, as it were, as you show uh, obedience inspired by faith. So this week I was thinking, if we want to experience that wonderful presence of Jesus, um, I can't think of a better way of doing that than to be speaking about him with others. Uh, trusting that promise of his presence and that he will give us two words to say. Well, Moses had all his questions and doubts addressed. Uh, um, it won't work, I'm inadequate, I don't have the answers, I won't be respected. Hasn't God been incredibly patient with uh, his very reluctant servants. But now Moses has just one last objection. He says down there, you've got the wrong person. Uh, anyone uh, but me, Lord. Anyone but me. Well, Moses might address his, uh, his words in polite language. Uh, you notice that? But actually his words express incredible arrogance as he um, gives God his take, his wisdom on God's misdirected recruitment process. 
And isn't God entirely justified at this point to be burning with anger? It isn't the wonder of this encounter that it doesn't end with a burning man, just a burning bush. Again, don't we see ourselves in, in Moses' objection? We look around, don't we, think, oh, they're far more gifted. They're, they're extroverts. Uh, they're good-looking, even. Uh, whatever we think, it, it's, we look, don't we, think, oh, there are better people than me. God's made a mistake to use me or to call me. And God said, I know all those things about you and in my grace, I call you and I commission you. It's wonderful, isn't it, glorious, that Moses' persistent excuses are only trumped by one thing, God's even more persistent graciousness. As he accommodates to Moses' weakness and is merciful to someone so faithless. Well, I wonder if Moses' own failure to trust God does result in losing something of the blessing that God would have given him uh, if he had been more trusting. Aaron becomes God's great mouthpiece to Pharaoh, uh, and Moses to Aaron, verse 16, that there'll be consequences, won't there, for Moses because of his resistance and his reluctance. But amazingly, God will fulfill his purpose still through this very weak and very sinful man um, in ways that Moses will not be even be able to fathom or grasp at this point. So I just pray that we will be encouraged and strengthened to trust God and trust his call on our own lives. Just as I finish, just a couple of things that have particularly encouraged me uh, this week. Um, maybe they'll encourage you too. Um, first about Moses. We, we know, don't we, uh, in Acts chapter 7, that Moses is now 80 years old as he's being called. And we know, don't we, in Hebrews 11... That, that decision all those years earlier to identify with God's people uh, rather than enjoy the comfort of Egypt was something that uh, was driven by a wonderfully clear faith 40 years earlier. I don't know about you, but here in chapters 3 and 4 of, Gen- of Exodus, I, I just wonder what's happened to that man of faith. Um, that man of clear and decisive faith. That is me, but I can't help but wondering you know, whether... Those wilderness years have been spiritual wilderness years for Moses in some way. But the truth is, God is still coming to call Moses, isn't he? Indeed, the greatest work for Moses is still ahead. He's 80 years old. We mustn't underestimate God's plans and purposes. Don't underestimate what by grace he might do, uh, even after years perhaps of barrenness or spiritual desert. Let's be longing for God to use us, whatever our past, whatever our track record, however old we are. God has purposes and plans for us this week, this, this day. And then there's something very lastly about God. Um, as we get close to, to Moses and we see him you know, at close quarters in these two chapters, uh, and as you carry on reading through the chapter in chapter 5, this doesn't change. It's very clear, isn't it, who the hero of this story is. And it's not Moses, is it? Sometimes Moses is this wonderful kind of pointer, an example uh, of what we can expect when Jesus comes. But here I think we see just how different he is from that one who is uh, to come, Jesus. Uh, here's a man, isn't he, who wants to do everything to wriggle out of, of being God's servant and deliverer. Um, but Jesus willingly and even obediently, joyfully, 
walks that costly path his father sets out for him. And as we come to celebrate and wonder at that path as we uh, eat bread and as we drink wine together, um, let's remember that Jesus walked that path uh, so willingly for us, for you, for me. He's a good shepherd, isn't he, who lays down his life deliberately, willingly for his sheep. Uh, He's the one we trust in, the Son of God who loved us and who gave himself for us. He's the one who, for the joy set before him, endured uh, the cross, dismissed its shame to be our rescuer and our saviour. So even this week, let's fix our eyes on him so that we might have our joy fueled, our faith and our obedience fueled as we respond to his call in our lives. Let me pray. Father, we are... Uh, in awe of your patience, uh, your faithful grace, uh, your commitment to use a very weak people in your great and eternal plans. Father, we pray that we might be encouraged by that this, this evening, that we might seek to be those who respond willingly and obediently, knowing that you have resourced us as well as called us, that you have promised to go with us, with your spirit uh, in us. Father, we thank you particularly for for Jesus, that one who went so willingly to be our saviour and rescue and drink wine. Lord, may we move, Lord, and in. Amen.